I was stuck in an elevator for two hours and I had to make the whole time. But I don't blame them, because one time I turned into a dog and they helped me. Thank you. Very good, Lewis. Short, but pointless. Tango, welcome Cash to Geek Salad episode 182. Be excellent to Batarangs. Hell yeah. I'm Andy. I'm Mike. And I'm Joe. And unfortunately tonight we do not have poor Miss Catherine, who has had some difficulty sleeping. So um, in honor of Catherine uh, and, the, and the topic of the evening, which is the movies of 1989, we promise... We'll do your favorites proud, Catherine. Yes. <laughs> Hope you feel better. So, um, anyway, before we get on with the movies of 1989, we need to um, right a wrong from two episodes ago with the um, our potato chip episode, which is one of our best-reviewed episodes ever. <laughs> which is crazy. Considering all it was is just us chewing <laughs> potato chips. I actually had to talk a podcaster, I don't want to say off the ledge, but like one of those, what am I doing with my show, man, type of things. And I'm like, listen, I've been doing this show for 11 years. We literally ate potato chips in front of a live microphone for 70 minutes. <laughs> and it's one of our best episodes. It's one of our best episodes. So, uh, yes. So, as um, as I had mentioned before on on that episode, episode uh, 180, I, had, I was looking for the Ruffles All Dressed Potato Chips, which are my absolute favorite potato chips all time. Um, they, I could not find them at any of the stores I shop at, and tonight, Mike, being the, the great, awesome guy that he is, brought a bag. That's, that was what you said yesterday. No, that's not what I said yesterday, but I, I call you a son of a bitch all the time. So, oh, sure. Alright, so I'm going to open <laughs> these up. We are going to review a chip before we get in on this, yeah. okay? Joe. Yeah, I will refrain because they're alright. You've had them before. Yeah. You've had them before. I will, I will inhale this bag. Yes, I know you will. Yep. All right, That's ready? That's why I got them. Yep. All right, Joe. Okay. So All right, go ahead. Best. Oh wow, the smell does not do it justice. It the smell is, kind of funky, but the taste is unbelievable. It's Holy sweet God. and spicy at the same time, but it's, it's not like an over smoky. It's smoky. Yes. Yes. Mm. But it's like a combination of like a it's like, like a, a smoky Cajun chip. It's like a good mesquite barbecue sauce mm. or something. Mm, there's great. like mesquite barbecue. There's like Cajun spices on there and vinegar. But it's just it's a it's a beautiful blending. Mm-hmm. Hands oh, down, good. the most perfect potato chip I have that ever eaten. Don't, don't let the smell put you off because no. it, it, it smells kind of funky. It smells kind of funky. Yeah, but it tastes so good. Yes, please do yourself a favor. Go out and find these things. They're so. Mm. Oh. Oh. Put your pants back on. Please. All right. Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> Lose myself sometimes. Welcome to radio, folks. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So tonight we are talking about the movies of 1989, which was a fucking banner that year was, for yeah, movies. Yeah, that was really a good year. Especially when you compare to 1988. 1989 was stacked. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, for the most part, when you think about the way that, like, the summers move, because that's, that's really how you almost define a, a year of release is how good the summers are. Yeah. yeah. Um, 88 was, like, it was the summer of Roger Rabbit. Yes. Yeah. Whereas this one, yes, this was the summer of Batman, but look at all the goddamn hits that came out. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and I would say a good chunk of them, probably 80% of them, are considered classics. Hmm. Absolutely. And a few of them are considered some of the worst movies of all time. Right, exactly. And either the worst within their own franchises, um, or the worst just ever. Yeah. There's a lot of morbid curiosities in here, too, um, yeah. based on like just the fact that it's the end of the decade. 90s hadn't started yet, but it's like you could see that there were going to be certain things that actually would uh, come up. You could see, you could see like the, the nascent trend, 90s trends. Right. In 89. And so, what usually what we do is, um, and we're going to be doing this the same way as we always do, we're going to um, discuss this, where we discuss the uh, the top ten highest grossing movies first, and then really get into the meat and potatoes of the stuff that didn't place in the top ten, but are notable releases, Very, stuff yeah. that we should talk about. Oh, yeah. Notable for good and notable for ill. All right. Alright, so, let's start off with the number 10 movie of 1989, grossing $95.8 million. Now, these are domestic numbers. Yeah. These are not global numbers, these are domestic numbers. Yeah, they didn't start doing globals until 2000. Right, yeah. I'm sure I could find them, but I'm lazy. Yeah. Um, so, number 10 is Dead Poet Society. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Considered Robin Williams' best dramatic role. Is I it, think, I think it, it? A lot of people give him a lot of credit for this movie, even though he had uh, played a very small part. It really, I mean, really, in the, in the overall scheme of the movie, he really wasn't that He's big. a supporting actor yeah. who was the lead, he was, he was the top-billed person in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought he was very good in this movie. At, at the time, because this was his, se- move, his second nomination he got for Best Actor, yeah. I still liked uh, Good Morning Vietnam better. And yeah. honestly, you know, yeah, you're right. a yeah. couple a couple years later when he got his third nomination, um, The Fisher King is one of the best roles he ever had. I, I still like him in Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting is an amazing movie. Yeah. And, but that was a supporting role, and yeah. he deserved the Oscar for that yes. one. He was excellent in that yeah, movie. The thing, the thing is, aside from Good Morning Vietnam, this is the movie, the most the dramatic movie that Robin that gets quote gets the most Robin Williams quote out of it. Yeah, there's, there's, he, he was able to, well, he was able to do some of the Robin Williams shtick. Yeah. There's the, um, you know, the Marlon Brando but, stuff that he does. But the does. whole, the whole thing about, you know, don't use, you know, simple words. Use, you know, you know, the way he's trying to explain to the, to the, to the, the gentlemen, the kids, the, the schoolboys, how to use, fl- uh, you know, flowery language to win over a woman and stuff like that. Right, mm. right. Um, the, the issue, the biggest issue I have with this movie, quite honestly, is the fact that it came out as I was graduating from high school. And college, college freshmen who glommed onto this movie 
were oh God, fucking yeah. insufferable. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Carpe oh Diem. Yes. Carpe Diem, fish of the day. So, uh... <laughs> and my biggest issue with this one is that it is a freaking downer of an ending. Oh, oh yeah. God, damn. Yeah. Oh, jeez, no. The, yeah. I did see this great parody on SNL, though, where they were doing, like, the thing. You know at the end of, of Dead, uh, Dead Poet Society, where all the students, as as he's leaving the yeah. room, they all stand up at the desk and go, oh, my captain, my captain, oh, captain, my captain. One of the kids on this SNL parody got up on the desk, and his desk was right up, right below <laughs> a uh, ceiling fan. Oh, captain, <laughs> I... <laughs> you know, it has been a while since we get a pretentious movie about uh, New England uh, prep, uh, all, all boys New England prep school. Yep. Sure I think the last one was like Brendan Fraser's. Oh, school ties. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. How many? You know, and, and people are worried that like white men in movies are a dying breed. <laughs> Jesus. All right, moving on. Number nine, grossing a flat hundred million dollars. Parenthood. Hi, Daddy. What's the matter, honey? You don't feel so good. Mm-mm. You feel like you want to throw up. Okay. <laughs> Gil, oh my God, oh, Taylor, baby, oh, sweetie, oh. Gil, why are you just standing there? Oh, I'm sweetie. waiting for our head to spin around. You'll be all right. I, I remember this movie and having a wicked good time with it. I really enjoyed this movie. I also saw a lot of parallels to my mother's family in this movie. I've only seen bits and pieces of this one. Okay. This movie is aged horrifically. Yes. By the way. Um, what is interesting, though, is the surely stacked cast of actors. Mm. Um, I mean, this was headlined by Steve Martin. Yep. Yeah. Mary Steenburgen was in it. Diane Weiss was yep. in it. Um, Tom Hulse, <clears throat> Keanu Reeves, Rick Moranis. And directed by Ron and Howard. And directed by Ron Howard. Martha Plimpton's in this movie. Um, Jason Robards is in this movie. There were so many actors in this movie. Yeah. And... This movie has a lot of ups and a lot of downs, and it plays with a really something that n- never rubbed me right about certain movies having like if you it, God forbid you should try to provide for your family right because you're just a bad person yeah um there is some funny stuff in this movie one of my favorite scenes in this movie is after uh, Mary Steenburgen is talking to Harley Jane Kozak who is the uh, sister of Steve Martin in this movie and she's just talking about how she relieves her husband's stress. Oh, and what God, she does remember, is yeah. she goes down on him while he's driving. Yep. So they had a really Steve Martin and uh, Mary Steenburgen had a really bad incident at, the, at their kid's birthday party. And it was just the kid is very very high strung and they just they're driving home it's very late the kids are in the back seat asleep. No the, the uh, grandparents took the yep. kids home. And Steve Martin's just like, I'm so tense. And she's like, really? You're tense? And she's just like, so her head goes down and he just starts driving and they, they just smash cut to the, the their, their their car yeah, having to yeah. run against a, uh, a, a signpost. Yep. So uh, do you mind telling me what happened? Um, honey, do you want to show him? <laughs> <laughs> there is some really clever, cute stuff in here. The Tom Hall stuff is just like, kind of want to like the character because he's just the lazy you know he's the he's the favorite son who is just an absolute loser yeah but it's just, it's just tough to like him the weird thing about this now is that all the babies born at the end of this movie are now oh, over 30 well yeah <laughs> they're all over 30 
But Keanu Reeves never ages. He nope. does not age. That They did the face app on him and Paul Rudd, and they looked exactly the same. <laughs> I look like an old guy who smells of pee. <laughs> you see, I didn't do it because I don't want the Russians to have my Exactly, picture. me too. Yeah, comrade, whatever. <laughs> All right. Number eight. Taking in $106.5 million and this and the year's Best Picture winner at the Oscars, Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. that This movie had Oscar bait written all over it. Yeah, it did. I told you to wait. Yeah, that's my hurry when you say it. Now, how you think I feel having to sit up here and ask you, can I go make water like I'm some child? Oh, God, be ashamed. Well, I ain't no child, Miss Daisy. And I ain't just some back of the neck you look at while you going wherever you got to go. I'm a man. I'm here about 70 years old. And I know when my bladder's full. This is yeah. one of those movies that is the this is the precursor to the magical Negro theory in movies. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, think about it. First of all, this is your first real, like, Morgan Freeman as the magical yeah. Negro. Yeah. Um, which, which I mean is that he is a He's essentially the person that has to show the stodgy old white people how to actually, you know, stop being a dick and act like a normal human being. I mean, you can see also the legend of Bagger Vance. Oh god. Um, yeah. Oh god. There's so there's many so, movies. So many. So many. Um, the Green Mile. Yep. The Green Mile. Literally. Literally magical. What, what was the name of the Best Picture winner last year? The oh the oh Green Book yeah yeah well, that was a, no that was that was a um actually that was still a magical Negro movie which is just in this day and age fucking sad that we yeah. still have to have those and not very liked and it wasn't even like, no no it was not, not like, like just like we, we we really have moved on you know you got two movies in this thing that are predominantly black casts yeah. right yeah <laughs> oh I'm sorry you know one of them gets craft awards the other gets uh, best screenplay <laughs> um I. I've, I've literally seen this movie once. Morgan Freeman is truly the best thing about oh, this yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw it once. And I, was like, I mean, yeah. Jessica Tandy is just playing Jessica Tandy. A, a southern Jessica Tandy. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd got nominated for an Oscar for this movie, too, and I barely remember what he did in this movie. Other uh, than gain weight. Yeah, he, he put on a lot of fucking weight in this movie. <laughs> he reminded me of Violet from uh, Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he just, just, he just expand, expanded out. Yeah. Um, and the weird thing about this movie too is that it was it won Best Picture, but wasn't even nominated for Best Director. Much like Green Book. Mm. Who's the director on that? Bruce Bressford. Mm. Exactly. You don't say. Yeah. Um, Oliver Stone won that year. Oh, for Before the Fourth of July, oh, which we'll yeah. talk about in a little bit. All right, number seven. I was a little stymied by how low on the list this was. Number seven, taking um, in. $112.4 million. Ghostbusters 2. No! No, please go! You! Who's this wiggler? He's yours, Ray. Sick him. I have discussed Hi, this with you. Hi, how are you? Ray Stats from the Ghostbusters. Can nice I tell you what I told you We're just doing a routine uh, spook check. If Dr. Reckman then is not here. Yeah, we know that, Johnny. So why are you came? Well, we got a report. There was a major creep in the area. We checked our list, and you were right on the top. Johnny, where in the hell are you from, anyway? The Upper West Side. Um, not surprised it's as low as it was because it wasn't as well. Re- I don't remember it being as well received no, as the first no, one. No, it was not by any man by any means. And to be fair, it's not is nowhere near as good as right. the first one. No, it's it no. still has fun moments though. 
It, that well, that's what it is. It's moments. It yeah. has fun moments. You yeah. know, like when when they're coming out of the kids' party. Ungrateful yuppie larva. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used that. I used that for years after I saw it. Um, I mean, I think this one also hindsight being twenty twenty has kind of aged this movie a little out of like anybody truly enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing this in the movie theater and actually kind of liking it. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, it was no, it's never going to top the first no, one. The God, first no. movie is such a great movie. Yeah. The first movie is just a stone cold classic. And Absolutely. this is a sequel. A five year old sequel um, where they try to implement some new kind of goo. Um, but, like, Bill Murray is just, he's aces in this movie. Yeah. He always is. He always is. But. but with this one, especially when he's looking at the thing of uh, Vigo. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, I know what's wrong. He's lost his kitten. I'll just put one in there for him. <laughs> and you know who stole this movie was Peter McNichol. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember that character's name, but I just remember he just every scene he is in, he's he stole so it. He stole wonderful. It. Well, I mean, Peter McNichol is just—he's just, he's just he's such a goofy. He's this weird, just off-brand, off-kilter kind of character, but. Now, it's just, I don't it's, remember. It's been so long since. Now, was Rick Moranis in this movie? Yes. Yeah. He, I was going to say, Peter McNichol kind of took over the Rick Moranis yeah. character role. A little bit, yeah. From the first Ghostbusters. But the weird thing is, I hadn't seen Peter McNichol in a movie since, I think, Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So, but the weird thing about this movie also is it came on the heels of the real Ghostbusters. Mm. Oh, yeah. So they played up a lot of. Like, Slimer is a larger part. Yeah. Of the movie as an actual character, not just as the one annoying thing that you know eats hot dogs and looks like a you know potato. Um, the stuff with Janine, they like changed up the, the Janine's look. Yeah, and, and didn't they like try to get Janine and uh, they did Rick, Rick Moranis' character? Yeah, um, Louis Tully. Louis, yeah, yeah. No, they did get them together, despite the fact that she spent the entire first movie pining, pining after for Egon. Egon. Poor Egon. Well, that. He is wasted in this movie. Yeah. yeah. He is tremendously wasted because Harold Ramis is honestly the secret weapon of how great... Oh, Harold Ramis is always the... Un- Whenever he's in the movie, he's always one of the best things about the movie. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's never the, the main focal point of the movie. Right. Right. And Dan Aykroyd is just Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. He's just there. He's just there. Ernie Hudson actually had a lot of good moments in this one. You know, and that was the nice thing too, that he really, he's on the, he's prominent on the, on the poster. Yeah. He was prominent in all of the press. Because I remember with, um, like Rolling Stone had a cover story on that when this movie came out and he was, he's on the cover too. So, oh, finally, mm-hmm. finally letting Winston be one of the, uh, the one actual the Ghostbusters. Yeah, one of the main guys. All right, moving on. Number six, taking in... $118.4 million Back to the Future Part 2. While we were in the future, Biff got the sports book, stole the time machine, went back in time, and gave the book to himself at some point in the past. Look. <laughs> it says right here that Biff made his first million betting on a horse race in 1958. He wasn't just lucky, he knew, because he had all the race results in the sports almanac. That's how he made his entire fortune. Look in his pocket with a magnifying glass. The almanac. Son of a bitch stole my idea. I like this one a lot. I like this. This is. I like this one more than three. But yeah, depending I, on who you ask, some people like three more than two. Well, you know, you, 
you know what the the this movie lives most of the excitement in this movie or a lot of the good of this movie occurs in the first half when you when you first see Marty going to the future and seeing yeah all you know seeing the holographic shark you know the, yeah. the hoverboard and right. recreating you know the the chase from the first movie except in the future and the hoverboard that first half really kind of lives up to the hype the second half kind of got convoluted and kind of just lost the plot a little bit. And the, the, when it went into uh, Biff, right? When Biff becomes, you know, basically Donald Trump, and yeah. he's, you know, he own, owns the casino, and exactly. His mom, and his mom's, you know, you know, a, a kept woman, you and know, he's a racist dick, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, wow, I know. I'll shoot for the stars. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting because um, Todd, who uh, joined us last uh, time. Could not make it tonight. He is actually in the middle of two shows right now. Ooh, so, wow. God bless you, man. Um, so, he did, wasn't able to record something for us, but um, he, he would have recorded something if he had the time about Back to the Future and um, how he watched it more than any movie ever and how it dark this movie really, truly is. is. What do you think? is. And what? how the future is pretty much worse than what they predicted. Well, yeah, and with the, you know, with the with the benefit of thirty years hindsight, you know, you kind of look at it like, oh shit, yeah, this, yeah. Thing, this thing is pretty dystopian. But you know what? But that the end part when he when he goes back to nineteen fifty five mm-hmm. and they like recreate a lot of the scenes from the first movie, but from different. I I really like that part. Yeah, that was neat. I, I did like the interactions between old Biff and young Biff. Yeah, like the tree leaves you idiot. So, but here's the other thing with that, too, though. That is exactly, like, what Doc said about the timeline. I mean, I'm still convinced we're in the timeline we're in because the Jennifers met <laughs> in 2015, nonetheless. <laughs> who announced they were running for president in 2015? And I'm sorry, I don't like to get political on this show, but who announced they were running for president in 2015 and who ran into their older-slash-younger self in 2015? Jennifer did. The whole timeline is because of that. <laughs> I bet Elizabeth she would have something to say about that. Uh, I don't know. It really should have been the other woman, but um, <laughs> whatever. Um, also, I'm just going to say, put this out too, and this is something that just never, you know, never goes spoken about, Back to the Future 1. What was the conversation that George and uh, Lorraine had after George realized that his third son looked identical to her old boyfriend? Yep. <laughs> well, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now. How well do you remember? Exactly remember everyone from thirty years. Before I don't know. No I don't know. But the thing with this movie, and what what loses me about this movie, is just the sheer amount of quote unquote movie science they needed to throw into this movie. That the rules, I think, to a certain point. They overtake kind of the enjoyment of the movie. If it's just like, Marty, no, you can't do that either. No, Marty, you can't do that. Why did you do that, Marty? This is going to happen. Marty, uh, the, uh, the, the time, the, the time continuum, uh, and uh, the Szechuan sauce, Marty. Because I'll watch my family members die, Marty. I'll watch my family die. So I get my hands on that delicious sauce. I'll watch them die a thousand times over, Marty. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> they are the exact same characters. Yeah, they are. And if you don't see that, oh, I feel sorry for you. I think the first movie was kind of like a nice combination of like the sci-fi with the yeah. family story. The second one got a little bit too much sci-fi. The last one got a little bit too little sci-fi. The issue, and again, we talked about this before about um, 
the end of Back to the Future 2 mm. being like, that would have been an amazing cliffhanger if they hadn't immediately thrown a teaser for Back to the Future 3 right after it where it's like, oh, look, there's there's Doc, there's, there's Marty. They're, they're together. They're fine. Okay. They're fine. Everything's good. Everything's good. Yeah, I... I... I don't remember seeing the teaser at the time, so I just saw that and was like, oh, wow, cool. No, the teaser is in... You you want it on Blu-ray or DVD? No, no, I saw it on tape off TV. Okay. That was the first time I saw it. Okay, so you probably never watched the actual credits. No. Literally, in the Blu-ray that you bought me for my birthday six years ago, it's on there. Yeah. It's still on there. Um, The other thing, too, about this, and this is just a weird little side thing before we move on. Why... Why all of a sudden in the second movie do they they not, they mention what Marty's trigger word is? Chicken. <laughs> they, he, they implied it. They the never movie. once implied it in that first movie. No. I've watched that movie like I've watched Back to the Future so many times. They never mentioned it in the it's first one. That needles. Mm-hmm. Needles was just brought in because okay, we got Flea for two movies. We got him. Use Flea. <laughs> They didn't say it, but I think they they didn't imply that he, he didn't like people looking like well when he was talking to Jennifer he says, What if they think I'm no good? I could I can't really handle that. Right, but that's just that's just his self doubt. That's yeah. not being called a chicken. It's like he is quick he's also quick to be spontaneous about things. I can understand that. But just calling him chicken and all of a sudden the Alan Silvestri like refrain comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. And also, why don't either of their kids look like Jennifer? Well, because they're both played by by, uh, Michael J. Fox. (laughs) Did that really need to happen? (laughs) Even the woman. Even the girl. Did that really need to happen? I ask you. Apparently it did. All right. Moving on. Number five. $130.7 million. Honey, I shrunk the kids. It works. The machine works. Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. What? And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. They're in the backyard. What? Threw them out with the trash. Stay here. I'll get the door. Yes? Did uh, you report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? Which was a which is a damn good movie. Oh, it's so enjoyable. It is. It really was such is. a surprise when yeah. this movie came out too, because it's it just the title makes it sound like a nineteen fifties sci fi yeah. movie, right? Yeah. And really, the, a lot of the premise is nineteen fifties sci fi. Yeah. Right. And it's just yet another piece of proof that um, Joe Johnston. No, no. Uh, well, I mean, it was his. Was it his first movie? It's his first movie. Yeah, but um, no, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis can really do no wrong. Right. He is so good in everything he's done. And really, this was really kind of the part of the, the. Could you say this was like the first movie of the Disney, the the live action Disney aunts? Um, not really, because they were still they were really hit or they were still going to be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless, and that's kind of the. Uh, but this was, I think, this was like their one of their, their biggest movie the, in a this long was time. The, yeah, this was this was their, very, their biggest like. Grossing movie for like years. This was this was really kind of like one of their first big live action hits they've had in a while. Right. The eighties were not kind to live action Disney. No, no, they weren't. Well, I mean, you think about it. This came out, and then when did uh, Little Mermaid come out? Same year. They yeah. came out the same year, but this was the summer release. Little Mermaid 
was the um, like the winter release. Yeah. yeah. And the Little Mermaid was one of those movies that took a while. It took but it had legs. absolute while. It did had legs. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching it in the theater in like late ninety one. Yeah, yeah no, early ninety one. I am shocked that the Little Mermaid didn't make the top ten. Yeah, well, no, it's again, it's one of those things. It was the start. Mm. Almost everybody gives Little Mermaid credit for that, but re- let's be realistic. That was that was just the start. Of the engine, Beauty and the Beast was the one that really well, catapulted I mean, that. I mean, let's be fair. Let's let's be fair. It was the Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, that's true. Released the, the year oh, after. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's still was, considered that part was, of the yeah. Canon. That was a Disney right there. The, the Disney hey, Renaissance. Yeah. Have you seen that movie? Of course I have. It is a fun movie. I didn't say I was really enjoy that movie. All right. God, this is the top four now. This one blows me away. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. One hundred and forty million. Look who's talking. Okay, now, after a new diaper, I really like some of that white stuff on me, okay? All right? Have you got it? Oh, good. There it is. All right, put some on me. Come on, now. They have to keep this burning cold All right, look. All right, just give it to me, and I'll put it on. Give me it. Come here. Just let me get my hands on it, and I'll put it on. Thank you. Oh, okay. There we go. way too much powder on here. Why don't you get out of this house, huh? I'm going to give Mikey a little bath then. We're gonna have a baba. Hmm? A what? <laughs> oh yeah, she's gone. I remember this movie oh, doing well, God. and I remember actually watching remember. this movie. How did this movie? I mean, it's it shocked me that it, that it's at number four. Yeah, one hundred and forty million. I know it did well. I didn't know it did this well. I mean, it was a funny movie. I. Mm. This was this was John Travolta's first comeback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it still took four years after that. For, no, th- uh, five years. Five years after. And Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley was still doing Cheers, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah so she, she was, and she is, you know, she was riding high in that Cheers wave when she made. And this, yeah, this yeah. this this was like what Magnum, uh, Magnum, yeah. Tom Selleck. No, I'm sorry. That's the other one. Uh, to, that's three men and a little baby, yeah. No, this is uh, Kirstie Alley and John Travolta yeah. with the with uh, Bruce Willis doing They're the voice of voice. Mikey that's the right. baby. Yeah. Ava Goat is in this movie, by the way. Oh, so. that's right. But this is the kind of movie that is just so simple and stupid if you actually describe it to somebody. And there's some fairly clever stuff in this movie, but first of all, it's aged horrifically. I think this was the first movie where I, where I thought, like, wow, Bruce Willis actually can kind of pull off a joke. He can. And a lot of that was because you'd have to see his big, dumb, oblong yeah. face while he was doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I saw this movie in the theater. It's okay. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a long time. I don't remember. I don't I, honestly know so if I, I watch it again. I think if I, it I saw good. it most twice. Well, I watched it a lot on home video. Yeah, I, re- I recorded it off TV, and that's, yeah. that's how I watched it first. Um, that was fine. It's easily the best out of all of the Look Who's Talking movies, though. Oh, God. Because they, <laughs> they, they lost that, the plot. That's really, really not saying quick. a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, the floor dropped out. And the, the, uh, Look Who's Talking 2 is released the very next year. Wait, and guess what movie's getting rebooted? Are you kidding me? Look Who's Talking is getting rebooted. Oh, oh God. Did we CGI babies or CGI mouths? <laughs> Didn't Roseanne do the voice of his yep. sister? Yep. After Joan Rivers initially did the voice at the end of this movie. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Moving on. Number three. $147 million. Lethal Weapon 2. That was easy. Don't you even want to see a badge? Don't do that again. Okay, let me see a badge. Shut up. Okay, I get it. Bad cop, good cop. Shut up. Okay, okay, okay. Bad cop, bad cop. I got it. I know all those routines. You Leo Getz? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's me, Leo Getz. Whatever you need, Leo Getz. You get it? <laughs> I use that all the time to break the ice when I meet people. You know, it's good. I'm Sergeant Meritatis and Sergeant Riggs. How do you do? Nice to meet you. Sure. Yeah, I can see it, yeah. I mean, Lethal Weapon was such a hit. It was a hit, but it was kind of like a covert hit. Like, it took in a lot of money, but people weren't like, oh my god, I, I am clamoring for another Lethal Weapon movie. Yeah. This movie is weird in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways that, in today's thought, don't make any sense at all. Well, yeah. I, I, just, I genuinely don't think I ever saw this movie. Uh, the Lethal Weapon series has never been really in my... It's never been one of my favorite cop series. And this is, by the way, the, the first one is the best out of all of them. Oh, this God, is yeah. slightly not as good, and the others are dog shit. Well, this one gave us Joe Pesci's character. What was that? Exactly. Fuck this movie. Um, <laughs> actually, no. He's okay in he's this okay. one. He's in okay. this one, he is okay. In the third one, after we won a goddamn Oscar for Goodfellas, yeah. then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no. No, I don't want... Oh, take him off the poster. I don't want to We have an Oscar winner. Let's put him in every scene. Oh, my Let's God. Let's market it around And him. he's just such a terrible character to be... He was an okay side character for this. Okay, 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 okay. But, um... This movie is weird. In a, it, it, the, the biggest thing that's weird about this movie is that this movie platforms a lot. Yeah. This movie goes on very political and almost righteous tangents about, you know, about worthwhile things. It talks about apartheid. It talks about, you know, um, you know the South African uh, consulate. Yeah. Because you got to use that accent because they all use that accent. With the cougarans. Uh <laughs> There's a there's a bit as a, a bit of a throwaway bit, but where all of Danny Glover's uh, Murtaugh's family yeah. stop eating tuna fish because of the you know the dolphins getting stuck in the tuna nets yeah and that's like that that's kind of that's kind of a weird little that's protest kind of, thing okay. all the while you know you got that going on you get the anti-apartheid thing going on and here is Mel fucking Gibson <laughs> well we didn't at the time we didn't know we didn't know what a horrific human being he well, was. How off the rails he was. Oh my god. There was just, no clue. Jesus Christ. Oh, at the time, all we knew of Mel Gibson at the time was that he was Mad Max who loved the Three Stooges and did Three Stooges bits. Exactly. Exactly. And this movie is just like... And that's all it is. It's one long Three Stooges bit. They give him some um... They do give him some sympathy. The Patsy Kensett character yeah. You know, the, the secretary for the uh, Sovetican, uh, I can't not say it that way, uh, the Sovetican uh, consulate, you know, she falls in love with him and then is immediately murdered because, you know, she, uh, oh, she, she was wanted, associated oh, with him. She, wanted, she, she got done dirty, too. She, she got done dirty, too, because they're trying to drown him yep. and he's trying to escape and he looks and there she, she is, is staring at him smoke. dead. Like, like the corpse from Jaws. Un, unceremoniously killed. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Like, you know, the, like the, they, they try to like pull a Godfather scene where like the South African uh, consulates killing all of the cops. So you have to, I do have to admit, I did enjoy the whole uh, toilet scene. The whole toilet scene. Oh, the toilet scene's scene. hilarious. 
The Jones because that and that concludes the Godfather esque uh, murder of all the cops for the Seth Rogen uh, consulate. Okay. All right, so Mike, because you haven't seen this, um, the South African consulate is is like essentially I think they're drug running, um, and they're using their diplomatic immunity, uh, yeah, which I, comes up a lot in this movie. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing I do remember. I like I think I saw I got a clip. Someone put together of all the moments in this where someone says diplomatic immunity. Yep. It's dipl- uh, dip- 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 dip. Okay. And then it. that gets capped off at the end with Joss uh, Ackley going diplomatic immunity. Blam! <laughs> it just got revoked. <laughs> because wow. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> oh, that is the most 80s. I'm thing. Danny Glover. Um, what a way to close the, out the, the 80s. The thing I most remember about this movie is actually not from this movie. It's from Animaniacs. Oh, no. Oh, yes, I remember. They, they, they had a, like, they showed, like, a, you know, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson and Joe Pesci. And someone, like, Joe Pesci, like, pulls a string out of his back and he just yeah. goes, okay, 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 okay. I'm getting too old for this, man. Hey, you want this? Okay, 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 okay. But the, the toilet scene essentially caps off where the South African consulate has killed all the police officers in Los Angeles, apparently. And Danny Glover is sitting on his toilet, and, and Riggs is called up to check on him. Oh, yeah. Is this what, what is it, like a pressure? There, there's a pressure-sensitive bomb on the toilet yep. seat. And, of course, you know, they got to mark their work with a, um, you know, boom, you're dead right on the, uh, on the toilet paper. Because yeah. that's what I would do. I would sure. leave a calling card. Um... So he was there so long that his legs fell asleep. Yep. So what they're going to do is Riggs is going to pull him. He's, the, he's got into, the, into the a cast bathtub. iron uh, bathtub. Yeah, exactly. That's the toilet. That's the toilet scene. I, I think they tested that on MythBusters actually. And did it work? I think so, actually. Well, that's good. Yeah. Good for Danny Glover. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and again, the Joe Pesci character is good for like fleeting moments. They fuck you at the drive-thru. See, that's funny. That's cute, you know? Um, all right. Moving on. Number two, the movie I've watched the most recently on this yes. list. $197 million domestic U.S. $1989. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's how Austrians say goodbye. And this is how we say goodbye in Germany, Dr. Jones. Oh. I like the Austrian way better. So did I. Let's try and get these ropes loose. We gotta get to Marcus before the Nazis do. You said he had two days stop, that he would blend in, disappear. Are you kidding? I made that up, you know, Marcus, he got lost once in his own museum. Oh. Such such and a good so good. Such oh. It, it is my favorite of the two Indian of of the two Indiana Jones movies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you don't you don't count the Temple of Doom as. Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into this argument with you again. Do you, you want to watch a segment of Willie screaming? I'm not gonna get into this argument with you again, Mike. All right, all right. Let's just talk about the wonderfulness that is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, second only to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Casting Sean Connery, even though they're really not that that they far are apart. sixteen years apart. But casting him as Indy's father was a stroke of genius. Absolutely, it, I, it and and and, and it, it works because up to this point, you, you get Sean. You know, everybody all everybody knows Sean Connery as is James Bond. Right. 
You know, the self-assured, super badass spy, where in, the, in, 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 in this movie, in The Last Crusade, he's really kind of nebbish. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, he, and, and, and he's just basically every kind of stereotype you have of, an, of a, a professor or a scholar, you know, an academic... You know, he's like the, the complete 180 of in, of Indiana. Right. Yeah. But with that, there were some amazing little moments. There's some such amazing moments. Oh, just little movie. little moments too. Just like the there's that bit where um, he suddenly remembers a Charlemagne. Yeah. yeah, that's a great bit. Yep. The bit in the airplane where he's like, "Son." Sorry, us. they got us after he shot up the uh, the tail. <laughs> but it, but even like the small dramatic moments when they're they're at the crossroads mm. and Indy's like you know he he basically blasphemes and his yeah. father slaps him. He's yeah. like, you, you don't talk like that. Yeah. And you know and and he's like and, and he's like well you know mom thought the same you know so did mom right you know that that's how he the, the relationship between those two is one of the best father son relationships in all of movie mm. history yeah. in my opinion. Especially because they, they and when, ripped it yeah, apart. When, and when they when they find out that they slept with the same woman. <laughs> that whole bit. I was human as the next man. I was the next man. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing in that castle. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, starting with when he breaks the vase over his head. He's like, I'm sorry, son, but I thought you were one of them. No, they used the door, Dad. <laughs> and then he's all worried. He's like, oh, Thank God. <laughs> and then when the Nazis come in and they ask him for the diary, he's like, that diary's 100 miles from here. You didn't. Just <laughs> sent it to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> and then when they set the, fro- the room on fire, yeah. and they're in the, and they're in the chair, like, <laughs> jumping around on the chair trying to turn around. And then just a bit, too, when Indy shoots the three guards... He's like, look what you did! I can't I believe what you did! They're shooting at us! I know, Dad! It's a new experience for me! Happens, happens to me all the time. <laughs> this is easily but the it, but, funniest but, out of all. But yeah. it, also, it also showcased Harrison Ford's true comedic chops. Yeah. Because, I mean, in Star Wars, you kind of saw little glimpses of it as Han Solo. Yeah. But it wasn't really kind of... The, but in this one... You really saw the com- saw the comedy that he's capable of. Right. Doing. I would say this is the most quotable of the movies. Absolutely. Oh, easily. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is quotable. This is yeah. a lot more quotable. I named the dog Indiana. <laughs> I, I love, love that, that dog. dog. <laughs> Best part about that, by the way, dog so, Malamute. Yep. The dog who's uh, George Lucas, it wasn't George Lucas' Malamute, but Indi- uh, George Lucas had a Malamute named Indiana, Indiana who inspired him to make Chewbacca. Chewbacca. No, the best part of that was <laughs> Salah's reaction you were named after the, the dog. dog. <laughs> Had a lot of fond the, memories the of return, that dog. The, the, the glorious return of... Sala and you know, <laughs> Dr. Brody. Dr. Brody. Brody's got contacts all over. He's, he's a master of disguise. Is <laughs> anyone here speak uh, Latin? Or maybe ancient Greece. <laughs> But you told me Brody had a head start. He could vanish and disappear. You kidding me? Brody got lost in his own museum. (laughs) (laughs) His own museum, you say? (laughs) There's just such great stuff in this movie. The stuff with the tank. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Especially at the end. At the end, when he rolls off, and he crawls up, he's like, just like, exhausted, totally destroyed. And his dad's like, 
Come on, we got we got to finish up. <laughs> well, I just love how they they're all staring over like completely overwhelmed in sadness, and Harry Ford just comes up behind him, just looking around. Yeah. What? What are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, this movie is so. The interesting thing about this movie too is that if you look at it this way, this movie was released. At the, ta- at the very end of the decade, whereas Raiders was released at the very beginning yeah. of the decade. Yeah. And they, thematically, are two very different types of movies. Um, well, and, and it's also it's funny, when you consider the timeline, this takes place before Temple of Doom. No, Temple of Doom. No, no, Temple of Doom. No, no, so in the timeline, it's Temple of Doom, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then The Last Crusade. Because remember, what's that? It's like Ark of the Covenant. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Okay. Because I thought it was Raiders. I thought it was Raiders, then this, then Temple of Doom. No, no. But, um,. But when you look at it, though, the way that the... Like, there's a lot of 70s movie DNA in um, in Raiders. Yeah. That well, yeah. isn't anywhere to be found in um, Last Crusade. But well, they've they gotten the romp. Uh, like, Temple of Doom is a romp. Yeah, yeah. It's a romp with a lot of action, but a lot of, like, gee whiz type of action, whereas... Uh, Last Crusade really blends the action comedy to a way to make it a... You know, and I'm sure you'll also admit this, a superior movie. Oh, God, yeah. Mm. My daughter liked this one better than she liked Raiders. It was actually funny, too, because at the end... Well, because well, this, this one, this one, Last Crusade, is, for some reason, it's so relatable on so many levels. Yeah. You know, especially as, as you, you know, like the prologue, the, the the first scenes, when he comes running into the, into the house, yeah. you know, he wants to tell... Yeah, you know, his dad, dad, dad. You don't believe what happened, and 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 Count his father's like Count of twenty, and he's sitting there and t- makes him do the rosary and stuff like that. And he's doing the rosary, and he's like, he's not even doing the rosary. He's like in Greek, in Greek. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is it's just such a fun movie. My it daughter is. really liked this one. It was funny too because when um when they you know when they get to the end and he's looking at all the grails, my daughter's like, it's it's the least fancy one. It's obvious. <laughs> well, I mean, my also, genius. I mean, you, you say it's one of the most quotable movies. How many of us say he chose poorly? Oh, I do that on. I do that on a daily, daily basis. basis. Oh, God. That has become a meme. It has become a meme. He chose poorly. poorly. All right, number one domestic release by a long shot. shocked. Two hundred and fifty-one million dollars, Batman. Your life won't be worth spit. Been dead once already. It's very liberating. You should think of it as uh, therapy. <laughs> Jack, listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. I'm not shocked. I'm not either. shocked at all. Oh no! I do. I mean, we've talked about this movie a, a lot. Hell, we did a and, video review for it. We did awesome. a video review for it. This you couldn't escape this movie. No. For the month before, you know, the month before release, and then for the month that it was the number one movie in America, yeah. you, well, you, you could not escape this movie. Yeah, but not just in its release, but the hype that was building for this movie for two years. Yeah. Prior. You know. And all the cons... I mean, oh my god. Could you imagine if the internet existed back then as it does today? Oh my god. When, when it was announced that Michael Keaton was going to be... Yeah. I yeah. mean, I know we've, we discussed it ad nauseum, but a lot of it is the ingrained DNA of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
the controversy with Michael Keaton. How how now he's considered the you know the premier Batman, right? You know, and it's like, um, Doc, you mentioned the internet being around when it's revealed that the Joker killed Batman's parents. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still not a big fan of that. Little twist though. Yeah. No, they, they didn't bother. I mean, they didn't bother. Me. Yeah, it doesn't just bother me, me just because I mean, jo- yeah. Joker's origin is so flexible and so kind of ambiguous. Right. Ambiguous. That it can it can work in a movie. And it doesn't necessarily have to tie into anything else. Right, but at the same time, this movie was kind of supposed to be like the ultimate Batman movie. Right, yeah. and you know, while I can understand them killing the Joker, mm-hmm. he didn't need any semblance of a backstory. He no. could have just been that mysterious villain. True. Um, but I, I think for '89, that wouldn't have flown. Yeah, you needed a narrative kind of. Yeah, right. You needed a you needed a reason for Batman to do what he does. Right. Yeah. Other than you know someone murders kids, or his parents rather. Why not be the guy that's your main villain in this movie? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? You know, and, and and honestly, I mean, this movie sets the tone for. I mean, this this really was the the live action continuation of the dark of Frank Miller's Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. To a point, to a this point, is sillier true. than The Dark Knight. Oh, sillier, yeah. but it was a, I don't want to say a disavowal, but it really kind of was like, forget Adam West and Batman 66. Well, even, that was, even, though, even though as a character, as a comic book character, Batman had really kind of taken a dark turn in the, with the, the Denny O'Neill stories of the late 70s, mm. yeah. you know, going into the 80s, Frank Miller really made, really kind of define what the dark Knight yeah. was going to be ever si- I mean right. let's, let's face it every every iteration of, of Batman that we know of, that we identify with today came from Frank yeah, Miller's Yeah it, ha- it has Frank Miller's DNA Yeah and and Michael- and, 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 and and Batman 89 was really kind of the 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 rubber stamp for the mainstream to say this is what Batman is. He's right. Yeah. Da- he he is the dark anti-hero who you know who's not afraid to break bones. Well, that's what Michael Uslan, who's one of the producers on this movie. That was his whole thing. Mm-hmm. He did not want the wham bat pow mm-hmm. that that people were, had automatically associated with Batman. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> well, the, the amount of people that saw the you know the '60s TV show versus the amount of people that read the comic books. Well, you know, it's a lot. It's kind of an interesting dynamic because, for us, our generation, we grew up with both. I mean, when we yeah. were, when we were little kids, it was you know Batman, Adam West, Batman was on regular rotation yep. syndication. Yep. That's what we watched. Yep. And, it, and for a lot of us, got us into comic books. Even though you know at the time I, I knew kind of what the Daniel O'Neill Batman was doing, but then the Dark Knight came out, and that was such. It it turned the comic book world on its head. Yeah. Right. You know? And that all of a sudden, Gen X decided this is what Batman is. Forget Adam West. Yep. Those the Adam West is a kitty kitty show. Yeah. This is what Batman truly is. Absolutely. And again, just getting back to the marketing of this movie, this thing was a marketing juggernaut. Oh my god. Especially Between, between you know it, well, when you found out that Prince was mm. doing songs. There was a like, separate wow. album. There was a separate album just for songs. Yeah, half of which don't even show up in the movie. Yeah, you had the you had the Prince album and you had the official score. The Danny Elfman score. And, and this like, movie made Danny Elfman a oh, man. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. God. And and another thing, we talk about how it defined the movie itself defined Batman for a generation. The music. Yeah. That I mean, theme. That theme became the Batman. Yeah, you know, like like we associate the John Williams, the, you know, the Superman march. Yeah, you know, with Superman, 
this defined Batman. And everything from the animated series to Arkham, uh, the Arkham games uses a variation or uses themes that Danny Elfman established with his score. Yeah. yeah I mean, before this, Danny Elfman was just, oh, he's kind of a weird little niche produ- uh, composer. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, Beetlejuice. I mean, the yeah, he did Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a good, it's a good score, but he's, it's niche. This shows, oh, wait, no, he can do, um, he can do niche. And he can do mainstream. What was the, what was the alt, alt-rock band that he's a member of? Uh, Ongo Boingo. Yeah. 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 That's, all, that's what he's doing. He's like, and the beauty what, is... What's too- an alt-rock guy doing, you know, s- scoring... Right. Alpha, and know, this Batman. is... This is Wagnerian. Oh, yeah, very In terms Wagnerian. of how it's... Uh, how that, that score is presented yeah, to. Yeah, well, I mean, push him into the mainstream. Well, the movie is... The movie itself is very gothic. Yeah. It is. It is. And so, so the Wagnerian kind of... Feel of the score really fits in with the gothic sensibilities that yeah. Tim Burton would build into the movie. Yeah, that said, I still think Batman Returns is a better movie. Oh, are, no, <laughs> inarguably, you know, you're you're right. But um, this is that this is, is inarguable movie. because some some people might disagree with you. Some I, people I, in this I, world I, might I, disagree. I, with yeah, you. I, I have to go with with Andy. I have, I, but I, I, and I've also had discussions with people like, no, Batman Returns is garbage. Really? I don't think it's garbage. I, I don't think it's as good as this one. Yeah, this one is just, it set the tone. And it, it's not just setting the tone for Batman movies. It set the tone for, like, the next few years worth of superhero movies. Yeah. Still. Uh, to a point, to I a think, point. still, for, yeah. For good or for uh, evil, though. It, well, it doesn't, Batman's you know, style lot, doesn't work with every movie. A lot of people, it's kind of hard to say because w, Warner Brothers is... Warner Brothers has a habit of learning the wrong lessons from their movies. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they mutated and, the, the, the... And you know what it was? Danny El- I mean, uh, Tim Burton's... The, the Batman and Batman Returns set a tone. Yeah. And they... Warner Brothers saw what Joel Schumacher did, and they're like, you know what? We got to go back to that. So they went with... Um, Nolan. Nolan. Christopher Nolan, who not only doubled down, tripled down, and quadrupled down what Tim Burton did. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden, WB is like, all our movies have to be like this. Yeah, and you that's know, the wrong. That's the wrong lesson. That's the wrong I lesson. Shazam. Yeah, Shazam's a great movie. Shazam has no. It's almost like I hate, he said it almost has no business being the. Almost, yeah. yeah. It's like, what, what's this movie doing here? Yeah. Wow, who'd have thunk that doing an episode about the movies of 1989 we'd go long? I mean, it's not like too many memorable movies came out this year, right? Anyway, yes, we did go rather long. So this episode shall be split into two parts. So if you're waiting to hear us discuss your favorite film and we haven't gotten to it yet, please check back in about a week when part two will be posted. Until then, go forth and be nerfed. Thank you. Museum, huh? Uh-huh.